you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Lord, I thank you that you're here. Lord, thank you for each person here. Lord, thank you that you want to meet with us in a special way. So, Father, we invite you to be a part of this time. You're the teacher. You're the revealer. We ask that you would reveal the wisdom of your ways, that you would touch our hearts, that your word would become alive in us as we receive it, as we harbor it, as we meditate on it, as we obey it. And so, Holy Spirit, would you make that happen? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I really enjoy landscaping. Uh, It's one of my hobbies on my day off. Sounds kind of weird to some people, but I tell my wife, I can't wait to work in my yard. <laughs> to me, it's kind of mindless and it's therapeutic, and I like to be outside and just enjoy the sunshine and even the rain sometimes and the wind. And I think part of that was imparted by my dad because he used to take us camping and hiking a lot. Sometimes it was every weekend. And just really enjoyed being out in nature. And oftentimes when I'm working outside, God speaks to me. And uh, I just love uh, taking care of the yard and making it look nice. And I like nice landscaping. Get a lot of good ideas of uh, going to the hotels and looking at the landscaping that happens there. And I, I just think it's so cool what you can do if you really give your time and your resources to taking care of the land, how beautiful it can be. Just enjoy seeing the creativity and the hard work Uh, when there are landscapers who take care of the land. And I like to take ideas uh, and and transport them over to my house. And so one day I was at a hotel and I saw this beautiful tree. I thought, man, that would really look nice in my backyard. And so I got a little one just like it and I planted it. And that was probably about 25 years ago. And at that time, Tara, my oldest, was about three years old. And Nicole, my youngest, had just been born. And I was having this dream of one day this tree is going to grow, and when they're about big enough to be able to climb trees, I'm going to build a tree house. And so every day, especially during the dry season, I would get out there and I would water the tree, and I'd look at the branches and the way they were forming and how I could prune them them and trim them so that one day it could hold a tree house. And I just imagined the kids playing in the tree house one day. It It was a dream. And I was working at it. I was watering it. I was nurturing it. And one day... Ten years later, the tree was big enough, and I built a treehouse. And the kids would play in the treehouse, and it was a fun place. It was their place where they could kind of get away from mom and dad, (laughs) and it was their space. And they would invite their friends, and they would have a great time. And one day, they were having a gathering in the treehouse with their friends from school, and uh, they had this really cool idea. They got on the cell phone, and they ordered pizza to be delivered. And the pizza guy, the driver, he drove into the backyard, up to the treehouse, and delivered pizza to their house. <laughs> they just thought that was just the coolest thing. And uh, it was a dream fulfilled, and uh, it was just something in my heart that you know, God had planted. And then one day, I went off island. And while I was gone, there was a typhoon. And the typhoon blew my tree over. I was there laying on its side and just crashed and crushed the treehouse. And when I got back on side, there I saw it laying there on its side. This is week seven in the series, and adultery is like that. Adultery is like a storm. 
And sometimes you may go off island or get away. Something happens while you're gone. And in just a single storm, it can destroy everything that you have worked for and patiently watered and nurtured and tried to build because of a dream in your heart. And in just a single storm, adultery can destroy families, it can destroy marriages, it can destroy relationships, it can destroy the very fabric that makes up society. Adultery is like that. But you know, God never wanted that to happen. God wanted to protect us. God wants to protect us. He wants to protect our families. He wants to protect our relationships. He wants to protect our marriages. He wants to protect our kids. And he even invites us to participate in being a part of what he wants to do. He wants us to be a part of his heart. And so he invites us both men and women to be a part of providing for and protecting our families and our marriages and our kids. And so it's in that spirit that God said in the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We can go to the next slide. So what is adultery? Adultery is when two people have sex, but the person they're having sex with is not their spouse. One of them, or maybe both of them, is married, but they're married to somebody else. Can we say that in church? Adultery is when two people have sexual intercourse. One or both of them are married, but they're married to somebody else. God's original design is that he created one man and one woman, and he brought them together. God celebrated their union, their their relationship, their physical relationship. Marriage is God's idea. Did you know God was the first one to give away the very first bride? It was God's idea. And God celebrates the sexual act of love. Can we say that in church? You know, sometimes we kind of gloss over that. It's a little taboo to talk about because of our tradition, because of our past. You know, typically in the history of the Roman Catholic Church, sex was considered to be utilitarian. It was for procreation. It was for populating the earth. But the more balanced biblical, and and there's nothing wrong with that. It's true, but it's incomplete. The more balanced biblical view is that sex in marriage is not just procreational. It's also relational. It's even recreational. Yes, I I said it. God celebrates that. And because God celebrates that, he wants to protect it. And so that's why he said in the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. But from the very beginning, Satan has tried to cast doubt in the minds of people about what God has said. And so he came to Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he said, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden? And so there he was questioning what God had told Eve. And they had a conversation, and 
You know the story, what happened. But that's been his tactic, that's been his strategy all through the centuries, is to create doubt in the mind of men about what God has said. And today, we're living in a modern society where, in secular society for sure, there's very little, if any, knowledge of the Word of God. As a result, there really is no concept, there really is no definition of marriage. Today, there are people, even in churches, living together or sleeping together and serving in the church and thinking that they're good Christians. And Satan has worked so hard to remove the word of God from the minds of men because he knows that the word of God is the only way that a person can keep their, keep their lives pure. What did the psalmist say? How can a man keep his way pure? By keeping according to thy word. Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word of God is the only way, and so Satan has tried to destroy and remove the word of God from the minds of men over the centuries because he knows that's how he can get us to fall. He doesn't want us to have influence. He wants to remove your influence and your significance through sin. Did you know that in order to have the greatest influence, it comes from the greatest purity? Just think of the life of Jesus, who was sinless, the most influential person in all of history. In the absence of God's word, then society makes up its own definition of marriage. Today, we have it on the books, in our laws, in our land, here on Guam, where a man can marry a man, or a woman can marry a woman. And even though Leviticus says it's an abomination for a man to lie with a man as with a woman, or a woman to lie with a woman as with a man, you know, the popular wisdom of our day says we need to uphold diversity and tolerance in the name of respect. We need to uphold diversity and tolerance in the name of respect. Well, that may be popular thinking, but that is not wise thinking. It's a smokescreen, because the real issue is not respect. Uh, I hope that you have found that we have long since established in this, in this series that God's kingdom is a kingdom of honor. And we are to honor God and we are to honor every single person for the simple fact that every person bears the image of God. And it doesn't matter what their past is. We are to respect everybody. But respect is not the issue. The issue is the definition of marriage. And where there's no definition, then anything goes. Who knows, next year some guy is going to get his lawyer, go all the way to the high court and say, you know what, I'm bisexual. I need two spouses, one of each, one male and one female. Or what if he gets his lawyer and he goes to the high court and says, I love my sister. I want to marry her. If everything is relative, if we aspire to uphold diversity and tolerance above all other values, then who's to say anybody's wrong? Respectfully. 
You know what diversity and tolerance means? Diversity and tolerance means you have to accept every different thing. But you cannot accept a traditional viewpoint. You cannot accept a traditional morality because that might offend somebody. When you appear before God, it's not going to matter if you were politically correct. The only thing that's going to matter is if you were biblically correct. There are two kinds of people. There are those who have committed adultery, and there are those who have not. God has a message for both of you. It's found in John chapter 8. We'll read it together. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So, what do you say? And this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Wow. The first time I read that passage, I was so impressed that Jesus is gracious. Wow. Jesus is gracious. I mentioned earlier that there are two kinds of people, those who have committed adultery and those who have not. Don't raise your hand, but which one are you? Before you answer that question, may I remind you that Jesus said, he who even looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery with her in his heart. And if you find yourself guilty, Jesus says this to you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Now, for some of you, that may sound too easy. Really? That's it? But let me remind you that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The question is, how do we respond? If you're wise enough to respond with kindness, I'm sorry, if you're wise enough to respond, respond to his kindness with repentance, then you will grow fast. If you're not wise enough to respond to his kindness with repentance, then he will exercise discipline 
And the process of growing takes longer, but he will still get you where you need to go. Your destiny is still intact. He will accomplish it, but he may have to take a different route. For those of you who said, you know what, I've never committed adultery, not even in my heart, then God may have a message for you too. You probably wouldn't identify yourself with the Pharisees because we have vilified the Pharisees. The Pharisees are those super religious, those legalistic, those hard-hearted contenders who were more interested in challenging Jesus than they were about the woman who was caught in the very act and then publicly humiliated. Most of us wouldn't associate ourselves with those kinds of people, rocks in their hand, ready to kill somebody. But let me remind you from last week, Jesus said, if you even say to somebody, you fool, you idiot, how could you be so stupid? Then Jesus says, you have committed murder in your heart. Whenever we judge others, we throw rocks with our words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words? Wow. Words? They go deeper than skin and bones. Jesus said, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. The point being, none of us are in a position to judge. None of us. We need to forgive and challenge others to go and from now on, sin no more. The hard part is let's say that you're a more mature believer and you have learned to walk in grace. You have learned the language of love. You understand forgiveness. You have seen God work that out in your heart, in your relationships, in your home, and with your friends. And now you have a genuine concern for somebody who is whatever, addicted to pornography, they're in a relationship they shouldn't be, you're discipling them, somehow you know them, you care about them, you try to talk to them, but they're not hearing it. Either they're kind of asleep, or they're not teachable, or they're stubborn. Now, what do you do in a case like that? Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, if we could turn there, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. That whole process is meant to help someone turn away from sin. And sometimes it takes a long time, but if you will trust God, if you will trust God's word over culture and how culture deals with conflict or issues, if you will trust God's word over your feelings and what you feel like talking about or not talking about, then God will use your obedience and he will honor it and use it for his purposes. It's a step of faith. 
to be able to follow God's way in a difficult situation. Chloe, I'd like, you to, I'd like to invite you to come on up to the keyboard. As we come to a close and as we prepare for communion today, I'd like us to think about a surprising twist in this story about the woman caught in adultery. After Jesus let her go, think about this, he went to die for her sin. Think about that for a moment. When Jesus said, you who are without sin, throw the first stone, they all walked away admitting that they were guilty. And then he went to the cross to die for them. When he said, neither do I condemn you, then he was condemned. Jesus is gracious and he's patient. Just try to fathom and imagine what that was like for him to handle that situation, knowing that he would suffer in their place. Let's take some time to prepare our hearts for communion today. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I thank you that you are gracious, that you are loving and forgiving. Father, I thank you that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work here among us and through us to live in a way that honors you. And so if you would just kind of be in your space, just ask the Lord, how are you speaking to me? And while you're doing some business with God, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and they're going to go ahead and pass out the communion elements. And let's take this time just to prepare our hearts. The Apostle Paul said that we should be careful not to take communion in an unworthy manner. That we would rightly see ourselves. And I want to invite you not to do that alone. I want to invite you not to evaluate yourself by yourself. But I want to invite you to ask God to evaluate you. Because sometimes our perspective can be skewed from one to the left or to the right. It just depends on who we compare ourselves to. You know, if we compare ourselves to somebody we think is better, we think we're bad. If we compare ourselves to somebody who's worse, we think we're good. But just ask the Lord, God, how am I doing? How am I doing, Lord? What are you saying to me? I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for what you're doing here in our hearts. Lord, thank you for how you're speaking to each one of us. God, you see each response. Father, I pray that you would meet each person where they're at. Lord, I thank you that each and every day your mercies are new and that because of your kindness and your graciousness that we can start over. 
Lord, I thank you that you are more than willing to hit the reset button of forgiveness and allow us to learn from the past and allow us to continue moving forward in our journey with you. Jesus, I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ.